Let me pray for us before we read. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who acts and that you are a God who speaks. We pray now, Lord, that you would help us listen to your words. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to trust in you and your promises. Uh, we pray, Father, that we would help uh, that you'd help us to fix our eyes on you and your goodness. Shape us and grow us by your word. Help your word to put its roots deep into our hearts and that it would bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Haggai chapter 2. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. And I will make you like my signet ring, 
for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Please do uh, keep your uh, Bibles open. You'll need them uh, to follow along this morning. Uh, Let me pray as we uh, kick off. Father, we're so grateful uh, that you speak uh, through your word uh, and through it that you show us the way of salvation uh, through faith in your Son, our Lord Jesus. Father, please do continue to to shape us and mould us by your word uh, that we may uh, respond in obedience and faith and be more and more uh, live lives that are more and more like uh, your Son and our Lord Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask, have you ever read uh, the classic uh, Great e- Expectations by Charles Dickens? Uh, it's a story about Pip, uh, who's an orphan, who as a seven-year-old, he helps uh, an escaped convict. Uh, but years, years later, he, he's training as a blacksmith, and he receives like this massive lump of money from an anonymous dude, uh, and this money is to be used to turn him into an English gentleman. Uh, everyone, it seems, has an expectation uh, for Pip. Pip himself, well, he expects that he will become an English gentleman. Uh, uh, Magwitch, uh, Pip's anonymous uh, benefactor, he expects Pip to be a better gentleman than his own arch enemy uh, who was born a gentleman. And Joe, a man who raised him, expects Pip to be a a hard-working and kind man. Uh, With so many expectations placed on Pip, there's no wonder that they don't all eventuate. Uh, And like so many expectations, uh, just like for for Pip, they they can be unhelpful. But you see, in the Scriptures, uh, things are different when it comes to the expectations that God gives us, particularly expectations of the future. God leaves expectations that we can trust as we await for their fulfilment. Uh, last week we started this short little book uh, called Haggai, and we're going to uh, finish it uh, today. And we saw last week that uh, at the time that this was written, uh, Darius, uh, a king of Persia, well, he's, he's the king over this region. It's about 520 B.C., uh, which means that time-wise, it's, it's after the exile. God's people, they have returned back to Jerusalem and they're rebuilding uh, the temple. Uh, the temple, God's, God's house, was a place where, where God dwelt among the people. He was, in, he was amongst his people. And, and the temple was really, really important for God's people uh, because that's where God dwelt with them. Uh, because God had made these, these promises, these, these forever promises that God would always dwell amongst his people in a house, in a temple, and that one of King David, the greatest king, he would always be, one of his sons would always be king. But you see, God's people, they were rebels. Uh, They were sinners. They disobeyed God's word again and again. And so despite the warnings, they ignored God. They thought, we can do whatever we want. We can live help because God's made these promises. God made these forever promises, or we can do whatever we want to do. These are everlasting, so whatever. But you see, they were wrong. Despite the many warnings, they rejected God and his truth, and so they were judged. Uh, They were punished, and they were taken out of the land, uh, and in consequence, the temple was destroyed. But after 70 years of being away from the land in, in exile, they're able to return and they, they, they're able to start rebuilding uh, this temple, the house of God, that God would dwell among them once more. 
But you see, in Haggai chapter 1, like we saw last week, uh, despite being back in the land, they got their priorities all wrong. You see, they were so focused on themselves, uh, totally forgetting about God. So they lived in these beautiful, splendid, amazing houses, while God's house was in squalor. But you see, God rebuked them, uh, and they listened to God's word, and they obeyed. It was amazing. And with God's help, they started rebuilding um, the temple. Uh, chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2, uh, which we're going to look at today, has a really simple structure. Uh, there are three different messages. Three different messages. So three times we'll see that the word of the Lord came to Haggai concerning, insert person that this message is, is concerning. So have a look there at verse 1. We'll look at the first one together now. Uh, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Uh, and this word, well, it concerns Zerubbabel, the, the governor, uh, Joshua, the high priest, and the remnant of the people that is there, everyone else. And this message comes one month after Haggai chapter 1. So that is one month after they've, they've got back on the, uh, the building train and they've started rebuilding the temple. And, and Zerubbabel, Joshua, and, and the people, in verse 3, they're asked a question. They're asked, what do you think of the temple? What, what do you think? How does it look to you right now? Uh, and the temple had been destroyed like 66 years earlier. And so for some people present, they would have had living history of remembering what, what the formal temple looked like. They would have remembered its formal former glory. They may have been like teenagers at the time or, or young children, but, but they would have remembered it. And in seeing where it, what it is now, they're, they're really uh, disappointed. Um, I remember going to this playground when I was a kid. It was the best playground ever. Oh, it was amazing. It had this slide that kind of just, it felt, honestly, it just went around and around and around and around. It was the best slide I've ever been on. It was amazing. Anyway, I went back as an adult, and I shouldn't have done it. I should never have done it, but it was... It was so disappointing. Like I went in it like one and a half, maybe two spins. Like it was so lame. Like oh, I was so disappointed. Uh, oh, lame. Anyway, for the people, for God's people, see they've got this great memory of what the temple was like, and they're devastated. It's it's not what it was. It's not what they remembered of of the old one. And so as they start rebuilding, they're like, man, this is this is lame. This is this is rubbish. But did you notice in verse 3 who the focus is? Have, have a look there. Who do you, who of you is left to say this house, in, saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you? Now, how does it seem to you? Does it seem to you like nothing? Who is on view? Well, they are on view. You see, they are looking at themselves and their own memories rather than looking towards God. You see, they had forgotten the purpose of the temple. That is, that God would dwell among his people in this house. And so instead of, and so instead of comparing it, oh, it's not what I used to be, so, so disappointed, they should be pumped. It's like, yeah, God is going to dwell among us again in this house. How wonderful is that? And so God rebukes them. Stop listening to yourself. Stop looking inwardly and start listening and trusting God's word of promise. And so God tells Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the, and the uh, people of the land to be strong. Verse 4, have a look. 
be strong and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, God encourages them to be strong as, as they get on with the job, as they work and build this temple. And you see, God gives them uh, help as he does that. Did you notice that? God gives them his presence. For I am, am with you, he says. Even though there's no temple, even though there's no te- God will be present uh, among them. Uh, <clears throat> God says, I'll be with you despite there being no temple. And God being present among his people without the temple is actually kind of what they've experienced in the past. Have a look there at verse 5. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and when my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So when God brought Israel, God's people, out of Egypt into, uh, in the Exodus, uh, they were slaves. Uh, and they brought, were brought out of that land and brought into their own land. And at that particular time, God acted mightily, but there was no tabernacle, no tent that they moved around, and there was no temple. And yet God was present among his people. You see, they, they might be disappointed uh, that the temple is lame, uh, but they're looking inwards. But see, God would dwell among them uh, and, uh, in this temple, and that is what mattered most. What they needed was faith. They needed to trust God and his promises in what he was saying he would do. And to understand that God's assessment of life is much better than their own assessment in life. They are able to be strong and work because God is with them. God is present and he is a present help. You see, there are really two ways that they could have acted in in this regard. And the reality is these same two ways that is, is how we connect when, when life is, is bleak. Uh, they could be despondent, that is, they can think, look, I can't do this, therefore I'm not going to do it. Like, you know, I can't, I won't. Or two, they, we could be obedient and, and faithful. We can say, look, I can't do this on my own, but, but God can and with, with, with his help, I will, I'll give it a go. And I think that can be helpful for us to remember too as, as we struggle with, with godliness or, or other kinds of sins we struggle with. At the same time, we can be despondent. We can think, oh, look, I'm, I, I know I can't do it and so I'm not going to bother. Or we can really trust God in obedience and faith, uh, striving to, to live godliness, knowing that God is gracious and, and help us, us, helps us to do so. Uh, God's people in Haggai's day, they had what they needed. God was present among them. He was strengthening them uh, to build despite their disappointment. But you see, God goes further, even further than that in verse 6. Have a look there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. God's saying there's going to be a cosmic, worldwide, divine event. The entire world, the heavens above, the earth below, the sea, the dry land, all things will shake. Everything will be affected. It is a great picture of God coming to be among his people. When God is present, there is great shaking and trembling. This isn't an earthquake. Uh, This is the shaking of the world in God's presence. We get get a picture of this in um, in, uh, Psalm 77. Uh, Psalm 77, which I've actually got printed in, in your outlines if, if you've got them there. But Psalm 77 is a, um, a, a, 
a commentary kind of on, on the Exodus, where God delivered his people out of slavery, uh, he saved them and, and brought them into their, into their own land. Um, and, and have a look there from verse 16. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and withered. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded the thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, God was present as he saved his people, as he delivered them out of slavery and delivered them out of that. It was a, a earth-shattering event. It was a cosmic, worldwide, divine event as God saved his people. And, and as the, the world shakes, the remarkable will happen. Have a look at verse 7. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. What do the nations desire? Well, they, donate, uh, they desire treasures, as, as other translations, uh, I think, helpfully put it. We see that in verse 8 with the silver and gold that follows. But this isn't a picture of, of a forceful coming, that the nations are being forced to come, but that they will come willingly. See, for us on this side of Jesus, on this side of the cross, this is a wonderful picture of the nations are coming to Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. He re- builds it in his death and resurrection so that people from every nation can come to Christ. See, this picture in Haggai is a wonderful reminder of the reality uh, that all people from all nations will come to Christ as him, as our, as our great temple. Uh, and this process, uh, and this really glorifies our God. In the temple, it, it's, its importance is its glory is, is amazing. Look at verse 9. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. See, for those in, in Haggai's day, uh, this would have given them great assurance and hope. The temple would, this temple would be heaps better than the, than the, than the one in the past. And so work hard and let's get this rebuilding. But but the reality is this was an expectation. It was an expectation that they never actually saw eventuate. So that expectation really only came, that final glory it comes in Christ Jesus, in his death and resurrection, when God is truly glorified and when we can have absolute peace uh, with God. So for the people, their disappointment is overcome by God being present among them. He is with them. And he continues with a future expectation, a hope for the future, that the glory of this place will be heaps better. And see, knowing this really helped them uh, to to continue to build hard. Uh, The second message comes in uh, in verse 10, uh, where the people are reminded of their their sinful past. Uh, before they had started rebuilding the temple, uh, one month earlier, or two, uh, three months earlier, um, they were defiled and unclean. You see, they hadn't turned to God. They'd put themselves first before God. Uh, 
And, and really similar language is used. In, in chapter 1 we see there to give careful thought uh, to their ways, to remember, to reflect on the way that they had been in the past. And we see really similar language in, in this chapter, in verse 15. Now, give careful thought to this, uh, uh, to this from this day on. Uh, in, in my footnote I've got there, uh, to days past. And also from verse 15, for this day on, give careful thought. You see, they were to think back to the way that they had acted and behaved. They, they were defiled and cursed because they had put themselves first before God. They lived in these fancy houses, but God's house was in ruins. But see, verse 18 is a big change. Did you notice that? That they start to rebuild the house and there's a turning point. There's a turning point in, in, their, in their spiritual walk and in their current fortune. See, by getting back into the house and, re, and getting back on the job and rebuilding this house, they move away from divine judgment and hostility from God. Verse 17, do you see that? I, I struck your work. So it goes from that and goes to divine blessing. I will bless you. You see, after prioritizing their work, uh, they go from, from being cursed to being a blessing. They, they are rebuked, they obey, they rebuild, and then God blesses uh, blesses their work. Uh, the final message comes in verse uh, 20. Uh, have, a look, have a look there with me. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens in the earth. Another cosmic, worldwide, divine event. Everything, the heavens and the earth will shake. You see, God will come, God will act, God will be present. Now have a look there at verse 22. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Brothers, brother. God will overturn and destroy what seems to be powerful, whether political or military, God will destroy. Nothing is too powerful for God. Whether it's political powers with, with royal thrones or Gentile kingdoms, those who seem to be so powerful, God will bring down. You see, in Haggai's time, it might have been King Darius, uh, uh, God will overthrow uh, for us, it may be Scott Morrison or, or Donald Trump or ISIS. They're nothing. God will overturn them. Or even military might. Did you see that? Chariots and their riders, uh, they were lethal weapons in that time, kind of like the modern-day tank. If you saw a bunch of tanks coming towards you, you'd be freaking out, particularly if you didn't have them. And so an army that had chariots and another that didn't they were at such a massive disadvantage that, that you would almost give up. But you see, with God's power, chariots, they're nothing. Chariots are no match for God. It really brings, brings to image to mind the Exodus again. You see, the, the Egyptians, they had the chariots, they had the riders. Israelites had nothing. They've run, they've stopped at the Red Sea, and they're, they're surrounded but they've got God on their side. And God, he, he parts the Red Sea and, and, and God's people, they go through and as the chariots and horses follow through, the waters drown them all and they get smashed. 
the water rushes back to place. What seems almighty and powerful on the world scale of things is nothing compared to having God on your side. As God shakes the world, it is a cosmic, worldwide, divine event. All will notice. All powers will be overturned and destroyed. Have a look there at verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Seattle, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, on that day, God will take his servant and make him God's signet ring. The significance of the, of the ring is, is more about who is wearing the ring, not less the ring itself. So, so the owner of the ring has his mark on the ring. It's like a personal identification. Now, and it also signifies royal authority. You see, God will overturn royal powers and he will enthrone, God will enthrone his king. Which raises the question, who is Zerubbabel? He, Zerubbabel was a descendant of, of King David. But you'll notice in this book and in other books as well, Zerubbabel is never described as king. Haggai is very clear to describe him as a governor, never as king. But we know that isn't right because until recently, uh, oh, and so, but the people in Haggai's day, they made a thought, ah, these promises that have just been made, hey, sweet, Zerubbabel's king, woohoo. Uh, but that's just not right. Uh, we've only just recently started hearing about King Zerubbabel. Uh, and this declaration gives, really, it's a, it's a messianic expectation. It's, it's looking forward to the future Messiah, to the future uh, Davidic king, son, uh, son of David, a king who will rule forever and have royal authority, the Messiah who will be like God's signet ring, who is God's servant, God's chosen king. See, the mess- messianic expectation uh, that we see here, it wasn't Zerubbabel. It would be one of his sons. As we look in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, we see the genealogy as it goes from Abraham to, to, to David to Zerubbabel to, to Jesus. The great expectation, the messianic expectation is, is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the temple, the dwelling place where God dwells among his people. Uh, all the expectations that we have in Haggai are really fulfilled in, in our Lord Jesus. That the cosmic, worldwide divine event where the earth shakes is at the cross, where Jesus takes the penalty for sin that we so rightly deserve, where he dies in our place, where we can find forgiveness and hope and peace. It is through the cross of Christ that we have peace with God. This is the final glory um, that is that is greater than, than the previous temple that we saw in verse 9, when God will provide peace. The expectations of Haggai are fulfilled uh, in Christ. But you see, there is more to come. There is more to come. Jesus will return. Although he is all-powerful and he reigns on high, uh, God will overturn and destroy all powers. 
But see, not everyone actually recognises Jesus as lordship yet. And so he will return to judge all people, living and dead. Then everyone will know that our present expectations is our final expectations. That will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. And so the question for us today is, how, how do we live in light of these expectations? Is our present expectations here based on our final expectations of what's going to happen in the future, knowing that Jesus will return to at any minute to judge all? And really this should drive our, our every action. You see, there are many people in the world, possibly even some among us today, who don't trust our Jesus. But Jesus is the only way to find peace with God. And so the question for us is, for those who do trust him, is how do we relate to unbelievers? How do we relate? Do, do we make the most of every opportunity we have by sharing this wonderful, amazing news of peace that we have with God, with those who don't know? Does our expectation that Jesus will return to judge drive us in how we live today, in, in terms of our speech, in our prayers, with, with our time? in our speech, by the way that we proclaim him, in our prayers as we pray for his return, as we pray for those who don't know him, as we pray for his help to live in light of those expectations. And with our time and our energy as we love and serve our Lord and the church. Do our final expectation that Jesus will return, that the end is near, does that drive how we live today? The expectations that we see in Haggai, they, they are fulfilled in Christ, who on the cross at this cosmic, worldwide, divine event saved sinners, where Jesus was glorified and gives us peace. Jesus reigns. He is Lord of all. He is God's signet ring, God's enthroned king, but he will return. And so let's uh, live now in light of, uh, let, let's let that drive the way that we live our lives. Let's pray and ask, ask God's help for that now. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God Almighty, we are so grateful <clears throat> uh, for this, this little book of Haggai, which is a great reminder of the future expectations we have in the Lord Jesus. We are so thankful for, that they find their fulfilment in Jesus. Please help us uh, live now in light of the future reality. Help us use all aspects of our life, whether in our service, in our speech, uh, with our time, in our prayers, that we may be mindful of the future and that we may live now in light of that truth. Help us long for Christ's return, particularly in the uncertainties of life where, where life is just so hard and difficult at times and the future is just a great hope. Help us have great hope for that day. Help us live these lives that we may, that we may honour you and glorify you always with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.